Now we come to our Bible reading, and this week we're going to be reading some verses from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and at verse number 11. Paul was obviously writing to his young friend and protege, Timothy, and this is what he says, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts today. So today we're, go- we're going to be thinking uh, about the subject of, of balance. Now when I say balance, I don't mean that, that beam on the Olympics that uh, people rather precariously do all these gymnastic uh, contortions on. Uh, we're talking about, about spiritual balance. The need to not be extreme, not to swing about, but to try and have a spiritually balanced approach. I mean, we know that's healthy in, in, in everyday life, don't we? I was, I was speaking to my brother-in-law who was telling me about a guy who all he eats is beans on toast. Now, plainly, that is not a balanced diet, and that will catch up with him, and it will not be healthy. What we have to think about is translating that concept into our spiritual life, our church life. What is spiritual balance? Because the issue is that all too often there is the tendency and the temptation to take a kind of extreme, extreme view on certain things, to overemphasize some points, and maybe to underemphasize other ones. Now, we understand the reasons why, why this can sometimes take place. And I'm just going to rattle off briefly four reasons that I thought about anyway why imbalance sometimes takes place. Maybe we should call it spiritual vertigo, you know, where, where you're, you're, you're off on one, one extreme or the other. The first one is this reactionary. You know, it's as old John Newton put it, to every action there is an equal and there is an opposite reaction. Now that happens in life. We all know that. We might have gone through some difficult experience. We might have been exposed to something and and we don't like that. It's been a negative thing for us and we react against it. And of course the, the, the danger is that by reacting against it we actually take an extreme position on the other side reaction. The second one is temperament. Um, I mean, some of us are just kind of serious, studious types of people. Some of us are just kind of bookish people. And, and what that sometimes means is, in our spiritual life, 
we can take a, a more serious, um, a more strict approach to things. And, and to, if the truth were told, irrespective of what area in life we were involved in, we would have that approach anyway, because that is our temperament. That's the way that we tend to look at things anyway. And we have to be aware of our temperament. Thirdly, I've called it admiration. You know, there are some people, of course, who have helped us. People that we admire, people that we think a lot of, and we want to be like them. You know, they say that, you know, emulation or imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You know, and and, and we want to be like these people. And so sometimes that may well lead us to take a position that is not entirely balanced. And then fourthly, and this one's kind of linked to the last one, is the idea of approval. Um, I want to be liked. I, I want to be accepted, particularly by a special group that I admire. And to be welcomed by that group and to be acknowledged by them, I take the position that they take. So, I mean, you see these things in life, and they're all reasons why sometimes imbalance, extremism, can sometimes take place. So we have to guard against that. And that is why I've read this passage in 1 Timothy 4. In particular, as you can see from uh, the slide that will just come up, that um, in verse number 16, Paul says to Timothy, this is the kind of key phrase, we'll touch on some of the other points, but the key phrase is this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So he's not talking about one thing, he's talking about two things. And he's talking about two things that need to be kept in balance, checks and balances. And the two things are, you need to keep a close watch on yourself, your life, and you need to keep a close watch on the teaching, on, on the doctrine. Um, this idea of balances, we're going to come on to this in a minute. I just want to say another couple of things before I get to that. Um, the, the idea of balance brings its own problems and its own temptations. Uh, and I think it's worth mentioning that. And I think the main, the main danger is almost a sense of, of apathy. You know, okay, I, I understand. I don't want to swing around. So I will inhabit this kind of neutral zone in the middle. You know, I will neither be one thing or the other. And, 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 and the danger is that there's no sense of passion. And there's no sense of conviction. You know, we just want to please everybody and walk that tightrope in the middle. So, you know, balance is a difficult thing. You know, and we have to be aware of all of that kind of stuff. And uh, we need to be enthusiasts, but not extremists, if I can put it that way. Now, one, one example from the life of Christ that bears this out was one of the lepers that Jesus healed and instructions were given to him. Um, don't tell anybody about this, but go and present yourself to the, to the priests as a witness to them. I mean, the idea, of course, was that, uh, you know, the priests in their manual in Leviticus had a, had a whole ceremony about what they had to do 
if a leper was cleansed. And that was one of the, the white pages in the book of Leviticus for them. They never used it because it never happened. You know, and yet here is this man and he's going to go to the priest to be a witness to the priests about his cleansing and about Jesus being the Messiah. And what does the man do instead? He says, oh, I mean, I've got to tell somebody about what's happened to him. I've got to tell somebody about Christ. And in his enthusiasm, the old authorized says, he blazed it abroad. You know, he just made it public. He told everybody he could. And that had the problem of, number one, Jesus could no longer go to certain places because the crowds were so big. And number two, the, the, the power of that witness to the priests was lost. Now, the guy thought he was being enthusiastic and passionate, but in fact, he got the balance wrong. So we need to be enthusiasts but not extremists. Because enthusiasm without knowledge can possibly even lead to fanaticism. You know? And we probably have seen that from time to time. So that is where Paul's advice here to Timothy comes in. And what he's trying to say to him is this. You know, these two things need to be kept in check. Yourself, your doctrine. I'm talking about truth on the one hand life in the other hand, theory and practice, knowing and doing, all kept in balance. So what I, what I propose to do is just go through each at a time. We'll talk about the importance of keeping a watch on the teaching first, keeping a close watch on your doctrine. Now, doctrine is important. It's not to be a scary word. It's not to be a word that you know, seems heavy and sends us to sleep. You know, it's the teaching of Scripture. It's the compass that guides us. It's the basis of our faith. It's what we believe in. It gives us the basis of what we try to live out. And, and it has to be there. We just don't swing about with whatever we feel comfortable with or happy with. You know, Sunday by Sunday, as we come here, we read the scriptures, as Paul has said, Timothy needs to pay attention to doing, you know, take time in a probably mainly illiterate society to, to the public reading of scripture and to the teaching of that scripture, because that is our guiding light. That's our North Star. And we have to have that kind of basis. Now, let me just take you through the passage here, chapter four, just to point out where he's coming from when he talks about the importance of close watch on the teaching. So you'll, you'll see if you go right away back to chapter 4, verse 1, he warns him about people who will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons or doctrine of demons. Wow, you say, that does sound extreme. Well, he talks about this. You know, so what he's really saying is that there are certain things that can arise, even are taught in the context of the church, that is not truth, that has as its origin and background demonic evil influence. Now, he gives, an, it gives examples of that, actually, as you, as you follow that on. So what it says is this, verse 3, the teachings of demons forbid marriage 
and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, without me having to say that, I'm sure your mind is going to certain places where that is taught. It says here, let's keep our compass in front of us. You know, that's a, that's a doctrine that has its origins, something that is demonic. And I'm not saying that, I've just read that from the Bible. Now, secondly, if you go down to verse number 7, he says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Plenty of legends, stories going around. Some taught from the the pulpit. Back in those days and in our days. He says, you've you've got to test that you might find that some of it is just old wives' tales. We need our compass. We need to take our time to carefully watch our teaching, to watch our doctrine. There will always be corruptions and distortions and uh, variations and modifications that, that people bring up creatively. Uh, on the scriptures of truth. What we have to remember is that there are the foundational teachings of the Bible that we need to be closely connected to. There is one God who is the creator. There is one Lord Jesus Christ, totally human, totally divine, who came as the savior of the world who gave himself upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. His death was not just a death that demonstrated love. It was for atonement for the sins of the world. On the third day, he rose actually, physically, bodily from the grave. And from heaven, one day he will return again. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There will be the judgment one day of all the living and the dead. I mean, that's the scriptures. That is the doctrine. That is the truth that we defend. You know, that's how Jude put it. You know, he said, you know, I I was quite keen when I wrote to you to talk about our common faith that we share, but I felt I had to concentrate on this point. It's about the defense of the truth that has been once and for all delivered unto the saints. So we have to take that into account, but in balance. Second point, keep a close watch on yourself. The reason that is important is that if all that we have is the theory, if all that we have is the teaching, there, there is a great danger that we can fall into a number of traps. One of them is a kind of cold, hard form of legalism. You remember how Paul puts that in that famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says that, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, we know that's true, don't we? That pe- people who have a lot of knowledge in a given field, um, and they like to talk about it, and they like to show that they've got more of that than the next person, 
And there is a tendency to superiority. And there is a tendency to arrogance and to pride. And, and if we're not careful, knowledge, even biblical knowledge, will, will puff us up with pride. You know? But love builds people up. And that's why he says, if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Irrespective of all the other gifts and talents and what's, whatsoever that you may possess. The other, the other thing that just the emphasis on the doctrine does is it can potentially lead to hypocrisy. And of course, many people looking in on churches in general, that, that's the kind of criticism they make, isn't it? You know, even Robbie Burns wrote his poem about it, didn't he? Holy Willie's Prayer. You know, people can seem so good. You know, they can put it out all there on the outside. All the forms, all the dots, all the slashes on the T's, everything there. But as far as their heart is concerned, as far as the reality of our lives is concerned, there's a massive disconnect and there's a total imbalance between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. Now, that's a massive challenge uh, to all of us as far as being a vital, real, vibrant church is concerned. I mean, that, of course, was, was the, the whole problem with the, with the Pharisees. And, you know, these men could recite reams of Scripture. You know, they seemed to have conviction about it. I mean, they taught it assiduously. They seemed to be devoted to the whole thing. But Christ shone a light on their hearts. You know, they, they even used to tithe uh, the smallest herb that they had in the kitchen. You know, they had their herbs, you know, their basil and their thyme and their cumin and all the rest of it. And as far as, as their, their giving and their generosity to God, they, they would give God even a tenth of that. They were so careful in every part of their life. And you would look at them, especially when you saw them in the street with their robes and all the rest of it. And yet Christ shone a light and said, you know, they're just like whitewashed tombs, full of dead men's bones on the inside. You know, there's one of the churches in the book of Revelation, Sardis, that's described like that. You have a reputation, says Christ. You have a great reputation. The people look at you. And they, they, they think you're alive. But I know that you're dead. You know, and, 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 and the reality is that all theory, all doctrine and teaching, it, it, it may not be an indicator of a warm spiritual life. We need to keep these things in balance. Now, the greatest example, of course, of balance, spiritual balance, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we take our example from him. And in particular, I'm going to draw your attention to a verse in John chapter 1, which says this, and you may well remember it from when we did John's Gospel, where it says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, we read our Old Testament. We read the law that came by Moses. And the law could be a very hard thing. The law could be a very harsh thing. There was not much deviation. In contrast to that, there is this description of Christ. Grace and truth. Now, one of the great examples, I was trying to think of instances in the life of Christ, illustrations 
from the life of Christ that bore this point out. And I, and I, and I, and I thought about the incident in John chapter 8. So the Pharisees, you know, they bring the woman who has been caught in the very act of adultery. And they said that Moses said, the law came by Moses, Moses said that this woman should be stoned for what she's done. And, and, and what do you say? And you know, that's the, that's the great passage about let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and he lifts his head after having drawn with his finger on the ground and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? They're not there. Now, there are two things that Jesus says. He says, he says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. That is grace. But then he said, go and sin no more. And that is truth. You see, if it had just been grace, grace, you know, that, that can degenerate into something soft and sentimental, you know, with, with no real guiding light to it, compass waving around all over the place. If it had just been, if it had just been the harshness of, of uh, the, the light side of things, then that, that is a hard legalism. Both of the things are needed together, grace and truth. And he had that perfectly balanced. Not 60-40, but perfectly balanced. And, and, and that is the example to us. It is the life of Christ. And, you know, it is actually nowhere more clearly seen than in the death of Christ. Because at the cross, you know, there, there is a psalm, Psalm number 85, which says this, that mercy and truth are met together. And righteousness and peace have kissed one another. Now, isn't that a very powerful picture? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. We pick up on that actually on one of our songs. I was thinking about it. You know, here is, here is love uh, vast as the ocean. It goes on to say, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Both together. You know, it's not as if the Lord Jesus Christ kind of just said, let's forget about the evil in the world. Let's forget about all the betrayals and all the sin. Let, let's just pretend that it's never happened as far as humanity is concerned. Let's just go on with all the things that we do every day and, uh, and, and let's, just, let's just be tolerant and accept one another. No, no. There, there is the love of Christ. The love of Christ for all of us. That wonderful grace that we've been talking about. But at the same time, there is his perfect justice. And here at the cross, mercy and truth, they meet together. And righteousness and peace, they kiss one another perfectly. When Christ becomes the atonement for sin, there is the need for that. Redemption and atonement are needed. We can't provide that for ourselves. But the cross of Christ is the, is the greatest example of all, if you like, 
of spiritual balance. And that is what we are called to. We are called to that. To that approach ourselves. Now let me give you a couple of illustrations. Can I get you just to turn uh, momentarily to Galatians chapter 6? This is a a very specific illustration of that. Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So here we go. Here's, here's, here's somebody who's committed some kind of sin. They've fallen. Something's happened. You know? And um, the shepherds of the church, the elders, are, are, are going around to speak to them. What kind of approach are they going to have to take? Are they going to beat the guy over the head and say, you know, that was atrocious. You've broken the law. You know, you're not going to be here again. You know, goodbye. No. In a spirit of meekness, considering your own weakness, that you too might be tempted with that attitude, hoping for the recovery of that person, you go to them, you, you address the issue, but you do it with that attitude. I think that's, that's what Christ would want us to do. I think that's the grace and the truth side of things. That is an, an, uh, one of the examples. And I mean, if you go through, for instance, all of Paul's writings, this is invariably the approach that he takes. What he does is he, first of all, builds the doctrinal foundation of his case. And then on the back of that, after he has done that, he makes the practical application. So, for instance, just to give you a wee example, if you were to turn to Ephesians, and you were to look in the book of Ephesians at the first three chapters, he gives a whole list of kind of teaching points. And then, when you come to the start of chapter four, he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. The first three chapters are all about that calling. He teaches it in detail. And now you live in a worthy way, practically, day by day, on the basis of that. You you turn to the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are a whole series of quite detailed and difficult doctrinal points that are laid out. And when he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, he says... I therefore, in light of all of this, beseech you. And he lays out the practical implications of it all. On the basis of what they know. You you can't divorce both of these things. You know, if you were to read um, further in 1 Timothy, and you might find that helpful to do uh, later on, you'll find there that, you know, it's clear that what people believe is carried out into how they think, and then it influences how they live their lives. And so doctrine is important. You know, so for instance, if you went to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and at verse number 3, it says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and doesn't agree 
with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He's puffed up with conceit. And he goes on to say he has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, so forth and so on. What I believe, what is taught to me, influences and affects what I believe. You know, we're not just about what we believe. James says you have to be doers of the word and not just hearers of it. If you just do that, you're like a man that looks in the mirror and then goes away and bizarrely forgets who he is. You know, I can't remember what it looked like. You know, what color of hair do I have? And, you know, did I shave this morning? I can't, can't quite remember after having looked in the mirror and actually seen myself this morning. When, when we look into the word of God, we see ourselves and we see God and we see our Lord Jesus Christ. And if all we do is hear that, and it fills our heads, and we go away, and we don't translate that into life. We're exactly in that situation. Imbalanced. Spiritual vertigo. We need the compass, but we need the heart and the hands and the legs that are part of bringing that into everyday life. So just as we close here, this, this balance thing, I do think is, is essential. To carefully watch, as he says, ourselves and our teaching. Why? Because if you persist in this, you will save both yourself and your hearers, Timothy. It will be good for you, Timothy. It will be good for the people around you. It will be good for the church. It will save us from hypocrisy. It will save us from sentimentalism. It will save us from legalism. It will help us to be Christ-like. So maybe this week as we reflect on today's message from, from this passage, maybe we can look at where we, we are on the barometer or the, the swingometer, I should say, as far as our balance or extremism is concerned and what needs to be addressed as we try to keep on that spiritual balance beam. Now may God bless his word to us, and uh, we're going to pray now, and then um, there will be a final hymn. It's that hymn that uh, takes the, the Apostles' Creed, and it's our opportunity to respond, our statement of personal belief, if we really mean it. Um, if anyone wants to discuss anything afterwards, I'm more than happy to do that. And, uh, you know, we vacate as we normally do. So, so let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the wisdom of your word guarding us uh, from danger, from temptation, from extremism, from ourselves. And uh, we therefore pray as we look at our Lord Jesus and have seen his characteristics exemplified in your word today, that we look to Christ and we take our example from him. We look to Christ and we depend on him. The one who kissed this guilty world in love and brought that perfect peace and perfect justice together in that wonderful way. Thank you for the great salvation that he provides for us. And we pray in his name as we now come with these words of confession upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.